How are you feeling about how you look these days? How's your body? Is it attractive? Years ago, Joe Namath wrote a book, I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Is that the case with you? I, I was thinking this week about uh, attractiveness, physical attractiveness in the scripture, how often characters in the Old Testament are described as attractive. There are handsome men. Joseph uh, was called handsome. Daniel was attractive. King Saul, the initial king, was handsome and stood head and shoulders above everybody else. David is called ruddy and handsome. His son Absalom was handsome. And, and then with women, Sarah, so beautiful that other kings wanted to take her away from Abraham. Rebecca, Rachel, that's part of why Jacob loved her so much. Queen Esther. You know who the Bible doesn't say was attractive? Jesus. Interesting, the central character in the scriptures is never described in that way. In the Old Testament, words that the prophet Isaiah spoke about Israel overall in its calling to suffer and be a servant of God, uh, spoke the words, he had no majesty or attractiveness that we should be drawn to him, personalizing Israel. And those words came to be understood as applying deeply to Jesus, the earliest picture that we have of Jesus, although it was a century or so after his life, was actually kind of plump. What if Jesus wasn't physically attractive? In movies, when we see him, he's always really handsome. He's always played by some really good-looking guy. What if he looked like Joe Pesci or uh, somebody who would not be a person that we think of as being real attractive? I say that because we're talking about guilt and uh, Paul Tournier in his book, Guilt and Grace, talks about how all inferiority is experienced as guilt, and it's a strange thing about us, but we can feel guilty or ashamed of not being attractive enough, or we can want to be more attractive and then feel guilty about that, or we can envy somebody else who is so beautiful and then feel guilty about that. I mentioned last time we could think about uh, guilt and grace in these four different quadrants, that if I am guilty of something and I feel it, that's conviction, that's the gift of God in my life. If I'm not really guilty, but I feel like I'm guilty, that's being neurotic. If I am not guilty and not feeling it, that's a sense of peace. That's what we want to move towards. But in some ways, the most dangerous condition to be is when I'm actually in a state where I'm guilty of something. There is wrongness inside me, but I'm not aware of it. So then I'm not uh, motivated to change. That guilt is to our spirit something like what pain is to our body. And so if you're listening today and you feel like you're kind of neurotic in life, in our therapeutic culture, that's often treated as the worst possible condition. Tournier says it's not. This is part of what he writes. A man makes himself hard and inflexible in order to escape his guiltiness. The strange paradox present on every page of the Gospels, and which we can verify any day, is that it is not guilt which is the obstacle to grace, as moralism supposes. On the contrary, it is the repression of guilt, self-justification, genuine self-righteousness, and smugness. Though those are qualities that therapists don't tend to write about a lot in our day. Those are, are the real obstacle to grace. Tournier says, I have a patient in my consulting room. The conversation is heavy, lifeless, oppressive. I catch myself glancing at the clock, which will put an end to it. I feel there is just nothing I can do, for it is a man who is satisfied with himself. He goes on to quote another therapist, the sense of sin 
like the conquest of virtue, presupposes a measure of spiritual disquiet. The neurotic distorts the sense of sin by infecting this healthy disquiet with a morbid anguish. But a quite uncommon force of personality may be necessary to recognize and retain a vital disquietude. That's, that's healthy guilt, a vital disquietude, without any assurance from neurotic anguish. Then, is neurosis necessary for salvation? Let us be frank enough to admit it sometimes helps. So if you find yourself kind of neurotic when it comes to self-blame and guilt, don't beat yourself up over it. Don't feel guilty about it. Because the great need that we have and what I want to focus on in these few moments today is for God to bring the gift of guilt into our lives so that we can deal with our biggest problem, which is the sin, the brokenness, the wrongness, the deception, the anger, the lust, the pride, the greed, the apathy that separates me from God and keeps me from being the person that I want to become. Because the main thing God gets out of your life is the person that you become. And we can't make ourselves that. We cannot deal primarily with sin. That's why we have the fellowship of the withered hand, of the withered soul, of the withered spirit, of the seared conscience. Turnier goes on to write about how what makes guilt a gift in our lives is when it shifts from being moralism or legalism that is externally imposed to when I have a personal encounter with the living God. And then when I see something inside me that that needs to change, I'm not in despair. I feel pain over it, but my prayer becomes, oh God, would you help me become a different kind of person? Now, God will help us do this, even though it's filled with confusion, and I'm not sure when am I being neurotic, and when is it healthy guilt. Uh, Turnier writes this, I love this, in his book on guilt and grace. Life is simpler for those who don't believe in divine inspiration, or who do not trouble about it. Simpler also for those who believe in in a naive way and have no fear of being mistaken. But it's not a question of having an easy life, but one as near as possible to the truth. As a friend of mine has said, the depth of human misery is that we are never completely certain whether we're actually obeying or disobeying God. Are my motives pure? Why am I doing this? Might be a good thing. Might be trying to teach, but am I doing it for my own ego or to help other people? I can't tell. It is precisely by such groping and through many errors, returning to our tracks and renewed communing that we come to understand God better. When we comprehend this biblical idea of God and his guidance in our life, our view of guilt is profoundly altered. This is so amazing. It is freed from all legalism and becomes more subtle, vibrant, and creative. Now that's what I want for you and for me today. Subtle, vibrant, creative guilt. Those are adjectives we do not usually apply to it. It's why the Bible... uh, has such a profound, nuanced, layered, deep understanding of guilt that has gotten so flattened in our day. The whole of guilt is comprised in the fact of losing the guidance of God, shutting one's eyes to it or refusing it. It is a much more severe and exacting sense of guilt, but not in the least oppressive. We are seized by a new passion that of discerning signs from God by which he would preserve us from faults we might commit even in good faith and unconsciously. And then he quotes Paul Ricoeur, 
A genuine fault is a hidden fault and requires an external revealer. This is always true. It is the way that wrongdoing works. If I was very clear and deeply believed that this was a wrong thing, I would not do it. The human constitution, our makeup, our emotions and conscience would not allow it. Always there is some kind of self-justification and rationalism and that distorts my clarity. So I want to invite you to pray right now and I'm going to as well. Now, God, I pray that you would give this day to me and to the one with whom I pray right now the gift of guilt, but not oppressive, despair-inducing, paralyzing guilt, guilt that is subtle, penetrating, clear, guilt that is vibrant, guilt that is creative, Guilt that leads me to the man on the cross who was most beautiful in your eyes when he was most ugly in the eyes of the world. Who, when he appeared to be the victim of the deepest shame, was actually the vehicle of the greatest grace. God, would you bring to me the guilt that only grace can provide and then lead to me to the grace that comes through the road of God-given guilt. Walk with us all through this day, God. Deliver us from ego, pride, self, sin, death, and hell. Let us walk as close to you as we are able. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you. See you next time. Thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me. You can join the conversation on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. If you'd like to receive the daily emails that go along with each video, let us know at becomenew.me at gmail.com. Or if you want prayer, you can text us at 855-888-0444.